So there was a 30-something-year-old man who worked in his local church. It's not me. He was their youth leader. And he oversaw the work for the 13- to 18-year-olds. And he'd been in this role for some time, perhaps about 10 years or so. And he'd witnessed many young people growing up in the church and moving on. He'd seen people go off to get jobs. He'd seen young people become Christians. He'd seen students go off to university. And on the whole, it it had been rewarding for him. However, for the last couple of years, things had just begun to be a little bit stale. He didn't have the same enthusiasm when it came to opening up the Bible with his young people. He noticed that lots of the young people were just not really that interested in Jesus anymore, and and fewer and fewer of those young people had become Christians. The young people were involved in evangelistic outreaches, which was great, but again, they weren't really seeing much fruit recently, and people weren't becoming Christians. This man's name was Rob, and for him, life at home wasn't straightforward either. Things were difficult. His marriage was okay, but they had struggled to conceive as a family, and that put strain on things. Money was tight, and they'd tried to save, but they didn't want to spend much, and they didn't give in church. And Rob just became a little bit disillusioned. He went to work each day and he attended church like everybody else, but he was just tired and he was heavy laden. When the music played for people to sing in the congregation, he would stand up, he would mouth the words, but didn't really feel and believe the words himself in his heart. Rob always played football with his friends on a Tuesday night, and, and that was great, but he noticed that more and more these Christian boys were starting to use bad language, and it wasn't being checked. He'd heard one of the older boys had started a relationship with a non-Christian, and, and he said that that was okay. One of his Christian leaders said it was fine. Rob went out for a drink with some of his old non-Christian university friends, and he caught up with them, sharing life. And he would listen to them as they talked about how things were going well, how they were earning good money, how they were having kids, they were going on nice holidays, and they didn't have any care for God. And he just began to wonder whether God really loved him, whether God was really interested in anything in the world. He knew that the Bible taught promises of Jesus and life to the full, but it wasn't his experience. He knew the Bible taught that one day God would bring righteousness and judgment upon the wicked. But right now it just seemed that God didn't notice anything at all. It had been 2,000 years since Jesus was alive. He promised to return, but he hadn't done yet. Where was this promise of life? Where was this promise of the return of Jesus? See, for Rob, it got to a point where he realised that for him as a youth worker, as someone who was responsible in the church, he was just being hypocritical. He was a bad example to those around him. And so he went to his pastor and he had a chat. And he shared his heart openly and honestly, fully expecting the pastor to say, maybe you should step down. But instead, the pastor said, I know what you mean. And actually there was a group of believers about two and a half thousand years ago who had a very similar situation to you. Why don't you go away and read about them? So, 
surprise, surprise, the pastor said, open the book of Malachi and, and, and read it. Go and study it. So as Rob went and, and read this book, he noticed that many of the issues, many of the questions that he observed in Malachi's day were, were very similar. He understood that the questions that people were asking God were the same questions that people around him and he was asking. He learned that with every question and complaint that the people made towards God, that actually God had an answer. God defended himself. God showed his loving covenant. God turned the complaint they had towards him back on them. And he realized, actually, God is good. Over the next couple of months, we're going to be looking through this book of Malachi as we preach through it. And hopefully, as we've tried to illustrate in the story, that we're going to come up across certain issues and questions that maybe you are asking, or people around us, the world today, are asking about God. But for this evening, I want us just to set the scene. And Malachi may well be unfamiliar to many of us, and we don't know when it was set and what it's about and how it works. So we'll try and outline those things and think a little bit about how this is relevant for us today. So, set the scene. When was Malachi? To put him in his rightful historical, biblical context, let's kind of go back to the state of the nation of Israel under King David and Solomon. I guess it's a good place to start. We know you should know a lot about those guys. We know that at that time, Israel, the nation, the people of God, were at their peak. Their best times, they were a large nation, they were spread far in all directions. They were prosperous, they were successful in defeating their enemy. They had good godly kings and a good priesthood serving in the temple. It was a time of blessing and you know, relatively good obedience. However, once Solomon had died, because of his sin and the sins of his sons, the nation started to go downhill. Kings and the nation turned away from God, and there was division in the nation, split north and south, and the leaders turned the people away from God to follow foreign gods. And the influence of these foreign nations would come in, and eventually foreign nations came and took over the country, particularly the northern kingdom that went off to Syria, never to return again. Then a hundred years later, the south, Judah, was taken over by Babylon, by King Nebuchadnezzar. The Israelites remained in exile for many years. And even after Babylon itself was conquered by the Medes and the Persians, the people of God remained under foreign rule. But they were never wiped out. God had his hand upon them and protected them. And then, in about 538 BC, the Jews, who were ruled by the Persians, were actually allowed to start returning to Jerusalem, to their homeland. And bit by bit, they went back. The king, the Persian king, actually said, go. He said, go and build your temple. And so they went. They rebuilt the temple. And for the next few years and decades, the people slowly returned, but they still remained under foreign rule. If you read the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, you kind of get more of the story and the history of what's going on. Ezra was a priest. And then Nehemiah, in about 445 BC, led some more Jews back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. And so things were looking up for the Jews. They were pleased 
God had prophesied that these things would happen and, and they were beginning to take place. And it's around the time of Nehemiah, maybe slightly after, that's thought that Malachi comes and, and prophesies. If you read Ezra and you read Nehemiah and you read Malachi, you, you notice that some of the issues that Ezra and Nehemiah had to deal with, with the people that will come up in Malachi, were, were the same. And so Malachi is addressing some of these same issues. So that is when Malachi was. What about who? Who was Malachi? Well, no one really knows. All we know is his name. The book opens, prophecy, the words of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. All we know is his name. What we do know is that Malachi is God's chosen messenger. You turn to chapter 3, verse 1, the word translated Malachi, it's also translated my messenger. And indeed, he is God's messenger. Malachi is God's messenger, sent to speak to the people of a certain time. But he also prophesies in this book of another messenger that is to come. A messenger that will prepare the way for the Lord. When we get to the end of Malachi and we see that this one, this messenger that's to come is called Elijah. And then we get to the New Testament and we see it begins with this prophet. And Malachi is quoted as we meet John the Baptist. So it seems fitting that Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament... The last words of the book talking about this one that's going to come to prepare the way for the Lord, for John the Baptist, as we meet him. So what is the situation? What are these issues and questions that are being raised by the people? Well, as we've been describing, the, the people have returned to their land. The land had been prophesied that they the people had been prophesied they'd return. Prophets like Haggai and Zechariah had said that great days are coming. The temple had been rebuilt. Temple sacrifices had been re-established. The walls were now erected, which is good news. But yet people were still under foreign rule. Great promises of blessing and the presence of God that was going to come hadn't yet happened. God had promised a great king who would come and rule and sit on the throne of David forever. But no one sat on any throne in Jerusalem. And so the people began to be a bit disillusioned and a bit discouraged. They'd started to doubt God and distrust him. They were skeptical and skeptical and cynical about God's love, his justice. And so that affected how they lived, and they just didn't live for God. Their worship was half-hearted, their covenant keeping was faulty. They were marrying foreign people again. They were divorcing. They were blaming God. Blaming him for not keeping his covenant, not fulfilling the promises that he'd made for them. The nation that had been promised to be great, like the days of David, they just weren't. The temple wasn't as magnificent. The people were small in number, and they were still ruled by a foreign nation. It'd been a hundred years since they first returned, but there'd been no real change. And so they were like Rob, our friend. Their worship and their service to God was a bit empty and improper. They didn't trust God with their money. And they blamed God. And then they thought, doubted his fulfillment of promises. They doubted the future. They doubted that he would come to redeem them. He doubted that God would judge. 
So that is the situation for the people in Malachi's day. What about the book itself, the prophecy? How does, how does Malachi work? I'm going to get you guys to do a little bit of work in a minute. But it's quite good, actually. It neatly divides up into a series of disputes between the people and God. There are about six of them, I think, in, in total. And they, they, they follow a nice, neat pattern as we go through. First of all, there's a, often a declaration. God makes a declaration of truth about himself. He talks about his covenant, or he raises a question. The people ask a question. And God raises questions in response to their questions and their complaints. And then God proceeds to give an answer. He defends himself. He reminds them of, of who he is in the past. He reminds them of his covenant. But then he turns their complaint, he turns their question around and puts it back on them and shows them actually that they are the ones in the wrong. They are the ones breaking the covenant, not him. So there's some kind of declaration, or there's a complaint from God. The people question, the people complain. And God gives a response, an answer, an explanation about the particular issue. So you open your Bibles to Malachi. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, so it should be easy to find. And turn to chapter 3. We'll look at an example that's a bit later on in the book. And we won't go into too much detail as not to take away anything from the person who will preach it in October. Malachi chapter 3 from verse 6. And let's, let's read this bit together. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you, but you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, and there will be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will, there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and vines from your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be the delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Why don't you have a quick chat with the person or the people sitting next to you? Have a look at this dialogue and see if you can pick out the declaration that God makes, the complaint that God makes, the questions that people have, and then the explanation that God has in response. So what is God's declaration in the beginning? What's his complaint? What's the people's question? And what's God's response? Let's have a quick chat with your neighbour.
Okay. So, a bit of feedback. What is God's opening declaration? What's God's declaration? Doesn't change. Okay, yeah. What verse is that? Verse, verse 6. Okay. And say, so what is God's complaint then he has for these people? Yeah, so they, they've turned away from him, from his decrees. Yeah. And he's calling them to return to him. Then what's their first question? How will we return to you? Yep, the end of verse 7. And then God's extra extra complaint is robbing me. And they ask. (laughs) (laughs) And God's response is yeah, in tithes and offerings. And then he encourages them and tests them. Will ask them to test him. And bringing in their their offerings. Great. So, hopefully you see how it works. And there's a similar pattern to all the different disputes that happen in the book. And we'll, I'm sure, get into those over the next few weeks. But basically there is this general theme that the people are blaming God for not keeping his covenants. And they're questioning him and they're doubting his love and things like that. But really it's them that have not kept the covenants. Them that have drifted from God. And they're under this curse because they're not obeying him. There's no blessing. And so this is God's, God's point, particularly in this bit, and uh, we'll look at that in October. So what about you as we come to a close? Ooh. What does it say to you? Think back to the story of Rob at the beginning. Did any of the circumstances that faced Rob in, in his story resonate with you? Do you see any of the issues that he raised in the church, in the world around us? I hope so. Because they're there, they're here. Even if they're not exactly in our lives specifically, they may be experienced by those around us or even by us. We do live in a, in a day and a time that's, yes, it's far removed from Malachi's day, but so many things are, are relevant for us. For one, we live a long time in the future from when Jesus was on earth, from when he rose again, from when he descended into heaven, from when the church began and, and everything was wonderful and great and it was growing. And of course it has grown throughout history. But sometimes when we live in this country we can be blinded to what's going on in the rest of the world where it's still growing and blossoming and booming. And we see a nation that's becoming more and more against God. We see a church that some, some of it, is, it seems to be dying and shrinking and becoming ungodly. And sometimes we can start asking questions that people in Malachi's day asked. We can doubt God's love. We can question what he's doing. We can question that he's not keeping his promises for us, for our lives, for our times, for our circumstances. Can we sometimes look at the church and perhaps see apathy poor worship time perhaps then as Christians people just go through the motions it's just religion is that the observation of the world around us they see Christianity and they don't see a vibrant faith and relationship they just see 
dead religion. Time when divorce in the church is just as high as, as it is in the world. Time when Christian giving is well, it's not as, as like the, the generosity that the, the New Testament teaches. But yet the lesson from Malachi is that whatever our circumstances are, whatever our heart is, whatever our worship is, God is faithful. God does keep his covenant. God does keep his promises. Even if we can't see it, he is faithful. May it be our prayer that as we go through Malachi in the weeks and months that the Lord would, would open up our eyes to particular things, particular issues, particular questions that you may have as individuals or that we as Modern Road Church may have as a whole. As we see questions and complaints, may we see God and what he says in response to see that he is faithful. And that actually in his time and in his way, he does fulfill his promises. He did prophesy to these people that one day a king would come and rule. One would come in my name, he would bring righteousness. One would come and he would bring judgment. It hadn't happened in their day and they questioned it. 400 years of silence was still to happen for the Jews. But then came John the Baptist at the beginning of the Gospels and he prepared the way for God's messenger, for God's king, for the Lord, which we know is Jesus Christ. Jesus who brought righteousness, who dealt with judgment at the cross. So that us, 2,000 years later, can know God's covenant in a new way, through Christ. And although it's been 2,000 years, and although Jesus has still not yet returned, we can trust God that he will return. That although we see injustice and we see prosperous prosperity in the world and people not caring, it doesn't mean God has forgotten us and God doesn't care. But hopefully as we see in Malachi, we can trust in him faithful God who will keep his promises and Jesus will one day come back to rule.